friends, and welcome back to the podcast for the Wesleyan Covenant Association called Holy Conversations. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and we are excited about all that God has in store, and we're going to learn even more about that today. But I wanted to say hello to my co-host, Bob, who's in Colorado Springs. Bob, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Looking forward to this conversation with two good friends of mine. And uh, talking about women in ministry today. So as we were saying before we got on here, there's no mansplaining happening today whatsoever. (laughs) I am going to largely be quiet through this whole thing. I'm going to stick to the script, but I wanted to introduce our guest today. Uh, Again, two great friends who I got to know when we were working together on the Next Steps Working Group uh, beginning to work on the new discipline for the, the new denomination. So Nako Kellum is co-pastor of Tarpon Springs uh, UMC in Tarpon Springs, Florida. And Beth Caulfield is pastor of Franklinville and Newfield United Methodist Churches in New Jersey. So we welcome you both, Beth and Nako, to this, this marvelous podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bob and Stephanie, for, for doing these podcasts to start with. And, and of course, for having Nako and I on. You know, I've, I've been listening and uh, sharing these podcasts with others, and they've really been a blessing to me and others. So keep on. You're doing great work. Thank you. Yeah, thank That's you so for kind of you. Mm-hmm. We're so glad to have you both, and it's been an exciting adventure that we have been on, and we're just glad to be doing it. So I want to dive right in because we've got some great questions for you guys today. So before we really start talking about women in ministry, you know, throughout the whole candidacy process to become an ordained pastor in the United Methodist Church, we talk a lot about call. You know, when we're interviewed by our district or we're interviewed um, by our board of ordained ministry, they're going to want to know those of us who are called into pastoral ministry what is our call story so I would just love our listeners to hear what your call stories are so Beth let's start with you first sure sure so um, I guess I've had this keen awareness of it having started before I was ever born even though my uh, journey and path have actually been uh, pretty windy and slow in terms of becoming a pastor See, I had this uh, great-grandfather down in Alabama, which is where I'm originally from, who, uh, even though he died before I was ever born, I was always told that he prayed for my salvation. He prayed for all of his grandkids and great-grandkids, and, and, and I think that's significant. I mean, he, he prayed for our future spouses and, and so forth. So I I grew up with this Christian heritage and this understanding, uh, and I responded to an altar call when I was around 13, like many. And uh, But the truth is, I really didn't surrender to Jesus as Lord until I was in my late 20s. My husband and I, at that point, were uh, living in New Jersey, and we were enjoying corporate careers, and uh, he was suddenly struck by a, a life-threatening illness and he, hmm. he actually actually went into a coma and wow. yeah yeah it was a, a very intense uh, it was a bacterial meningitis just all of a sudden and uh and after much wrestling uh i really surrendered uh the situation to my life to to the lord about my life and his and um 
through that whole time, my uh, husband received a, a miraculous healing, and um, we both became serious about our faith, and we started attending church at that time. Now, a, a few years later, when we were young parents, and I, we had a preschooler and a toddler, uh, we moved to Paris, France, mm. and and we uh, joined the American church there, which at that time was led by a United Methodist pastor. And, uh, and I was invited to uh, join something, to attend something called Community Bible Study International. And, and I'm sure some of our uh, listeners know uh, CBS here in the mm -hmm. States. It's a, it's a parachurch ministry, and uh, it focuses on uh, systematic Bible study. And the way they sold it to me was they said, look, you'll get two hours of adult company and your kids are going to be taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just signed up right away. I was like, That's well, deal. <laughs> yeah. and, and through that uh, program, I started studying scripture uh, again, as I said, systematically and through uh, an accountability structure. I mean, there were there was a strong accountability to be part of that program, and it really changed my life. Uh, especially uh, the fact that uh, I was doing so, I think, in an international setting, because uh, I was uh, studying with men and women who were from all over the world and and different walks of life. And yet we were hearing from one another how we all understood the same Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it was so powerful. And uh, it, it's really one reason why multicultural ministry is uh, uh, something that I enjoy so much and is so, so um, I have so much passion about. Yeah. Yeah. That's and so, so, so just to, to fast forward quickly, I, uh, you know, after that, um, I would became a small group leader in the program. And, and it's interesting when they asked me to do it, I said, well, I don't want to do it because I can't pray out loud. <laughs> and uh, the response was, well, you got to get over that. And uh, so I did. And, um, you know, uh, there was just, and, and I'm sharing with you this because mine was this slow process uh, you know, I eventually became a, a teaching director of CBS, uh, and I had to learn to give a lecture, which is really a sermon. And, mm. and uh, this was before going to seminary or anything like that, and really was taught that even though at that point I had never read the entire Bible, uh, that I could pray and ask for God's revelation of what I was reading and what he was sharing with me to share with others. And that was such a powerful way to learn, um, you know, how to uh, share the scriptures, understand them for myself and share with others. Uh, I was told, don't rely on commentaries and those kinds of things. Um, so I stayed with CBS for a number of years. I led a class back in the States. I started uh, uh, prison ministry programs in both men's and women's prisons. And uh, all this time, I just thought I was doing this while my kids were growing up, and I'd go back to my corporate career, you know. And um, about the time my kids got in middle school, I was praying about what I should be doing. And one night, I had a very vivid dream that said, go to seminary. Uh. And so 
I ended up at Drew Theological School, which is a very progressive seminary. And uh, even though I, I didn't really want to go there at the time because the theology taught was so different from my own, but it was God's plan. And I can see that it uh, better prepared me to understand progressive theology and interact with those who follow it. Mm. And um, <laughs> year into seminary, I found myself pregnant, surprised with a third child at 43. And I thought, oh God, is this really the plan? <laughs> uh, and I, and uh, I struggled, but I, I wound up uh, completing my MDiv in five years and I entered the ordination process, became a UMC pastor. And then in 2016, became a founding member of the WCA when I went out to that first uh, Chicago conference and just knew that the spirit was moving. Wow, that's a great story. I just, I love how you emphasize the fact that God does those things as a process over time. And you can see how he was at work in all of those different things that occurred in your life. Okay, so Naka, let's hear from you. Tell us about your call story. Sure. Um, mine was a slow, uh, gentle process, I should say, of God's hand. Uh, I didn't grow up as a Christian. I grew up in Japan in a Buddhist slash Shintoism uh, family. But, you know, I forgot about this for a long time. But I, I actually remember I took an English class at, uh, at a Catholic church when I was probably like first grade. And I really loved nuns, American nuns who taught us English. And I, told, I remember I told, telling my mom, I want to be nun when I grow <laughs> up. I don't know. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's like the beginning of you know, very first Christian, I guess, I think I interacted. Um, so I went to a university that was founded by a Methodist missionary in probably 19th century or early 20th century. And that's when I became a Christian. And that was a very strong moment for me because I didn't know God existed or I didn't know about Jesus. So that was the moment God really grabbed me with, and I really felt his love, almost like I physically felt his love. And, you know, that he gave us Jesus so we can go back to him. So, so that really changed my, my life entirely. But at the same time, the thought came to me was, why had anybody ever tell me this, mm -hmm. you know, if it's, it's such a great news, why, why didn't anybody ever tell me this? So I always have this um, desire to tell people about God's love in Jesus. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was a senior year. I was almost graduating from university. So I did graduate and I started working as a flight attendant um, right after graduation. And um, I, I really enjoyed job. It was it was, uh, you know, pay was good. It was fun. You know, you get to go to different places and all that. But I, I, I felt really this sense of, you know, this is not something I should be doing for the rest of my life. There must be something God wants me to do. So I started talking to my pastor and we started praying together. And, uh, you know, over time, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to really serve people. So I wanted to maybe work for United Nations or some kind of uh, organization or maybe social work. I didn't know. And then my pastor started telling me, have you ever thought about going to like a Bible college or seminary? 
And I said, no, and I'm not going to. <laughs> That's not what I want to do. So, so he, he kept kind of bringing it up to me, and I said, no, that's not what I want to do. And around that time, I think a year or two into the, it, I learned about Asbury Seminary through missionary who was in Japan. And my pastor suggested, well, why don't you just get some, you know, like a catalog or something? I said, okay, I didn't know what seminary was. So I thought it was like a regular, you know, just university or graduate school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did. I looked into it and I thought, well, I have to study Greek and I have to study preaching. I'm not going to do that. So I set it aside and I continued to pray and, you know, work and all these things. And, the, and But at the same time, I think God was really telling me to commit myself to him and just him mm-hmm. through the scripture and through uh, uh, messages that I've been hearing that basically told God was telling me I cannot serve two masters. He's mm-hmm. going to be the only master. So, so that happened, and I, I knew I had that. I, I knew at that moment I had to apply to Asbury. And long story short, I was accepted, uh, and I went to Asbury, Wilmore, Kentucky. I didn't even know where Wilmore, Kentucky was. It was nobody kind of does until they That's get to school. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I seriously thought I was being kidnapped by a cab driver because there's no, I grew up in a big city. I didn't realize how, you know, but anyhow. Um, and while Asbury, you know, there are moments that a lot of times I'm like, why am I here? You know, what am I doing here? But I remember twice specifically, God really, I knew that God was calling me to, to dedicate myself to his service. One was in the chapel and one was in my dorm room. And I met my husband there. We went back to Japan as a, as a missionary working in my home church for a while. And, but that was our intention was to just serve in Japan. And then different things happened. We came back to the United States. Uh, Edward, my husband, got a job as a staff in church in Tampa in the United Methodist Church. But that was supposed to be a temporary thing. <laughs> but God called Edward to, to come back to the United Methodist Church to be a pastor when, while we were in Tampa. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. You know, so we're going back to Japan. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't even think about, I didn't even imagine being a pastor in the United Methodist Church. I, I, my home church in Japan is a, it's a Japanese church, but it's affiliated with Wesleyan Church here. Mm-hmm. And as a Wesleyan, United Methodist Church was like a, it, I, it was a scary place to go, <laughs> I should say. Yeah, so I'm like, there is no way I'm going to be a United Methodist. But um, so he started his candidacy process and he got appointment. And I, while he was associate pastor in a church in Ocala, I met a wonderful senior pastor who encouraged me to teach disciple bible study series so i did i taught a couple of classes and while i was doing that i felt god's call again strongly and so i started candidacy process there and i think so it was kind of like i can't do this i don't want to do this but i feel like god's calling me so that was like over almost i graduated for 10 8 years or so i since i graduated and one day, uh, I received a phone call from my district superintendent as asking me to be an intern pastor for two months. And it was Wednesday, and she wanted me to start on that Sunday. So that, 
that Sunday I went to church and I was sitting at the chancel area waiting for, you know, time to preach. And I was terrified and I was really physically shaking. Then, then I heard almost this audible voice. God was telling me, I want all of you, like whole you to do this. Mm -hmm. so that was like the definite, definite moment that I really realized, well, God is calling me and this is what he wants me to do. So, so it really goes with God wants me to dedicate myself, set, set apart really for ordained ministry for him. So that was my story. story. Yeah, what a powerful story. And um, I remember you saying last year in Tulsa, because you told this story last year and you talked mm -hmm. about the fact that it always struck with me that, that um, in Japan, they sing the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, mm -hmm. at weddings, which, right. which seems very interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah. you know, that there's a Christian influence there to some degree. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> fascinating stuff i encourage you to go back and listen to that and and uh you can actually you can actually hear both beth and nako online i know because i've listened to both of them over the course of the pandemic tide or corona tide as it were and um uh i i think there's a there's some power in both of those stories that brings out god's call given to you but Entering into ministry, we, we've talked about your call to ministry. Entering into ministry, however, um, there are challenges that a lot of women face when they go into ministry. Challenges that I don't face as, as a male pastor. So can you describe some of the challenges you've each experienced as you've gone in to serve churches and, and senior leadership positions? Nako, let's start with you. So, so I think challenges come externally and internally. And externally means people outside of me. You know, of course, there are people who left the church because I was a female pastor and, you know, people don't believe in it. And those are, those are the challenges that uh, come outside of me. And so the challenge is that it's almost like you're not given a chance to, to be a pastor to these people. Um, and there is no chance to share good news with them almost because their hearts and their ears are shut. Um, and internally, I think one of them is to find my own voice in preaching and in leadership. Um, because, you know, by, you want to imitate some models at the beginning and almost all the models uh, when I started was, was male. You know, when you hear preachers, it's almost male and also leadership style as well. So, so it took me for a while to realize I don't have to lead like, I don't know, like Jack Welch or Moses or, you know, some other strong male leadership type. You know, I like to lead in more uh, cooperative, more team type of thing. Um, it's probably being a female, but also a cultural thing for me as well. And the other thing internally is I think as a female, we, go, we have a more variety of life stages we go through. Um, if you're married, and Beth mentioned it too, but you go through pregnancy and childbearing. And if you're single, even married, a lot of times, you know, female or daughters are the ones who take care of elderly parent, parents. So, so for me, you know, I had my younger daughter when I was 
serving as a pastor. I was also like 43 when I, I think 42 or 43 when I had her. And to be honest, the first year of her life, I don't remember anything. Either about her or she asked me the other day what was her first word was. And I just, I just don't remember what it was. Because, <laughs> you know, so, so that's the personal kind of internal challenge that I think female pastor face rather than male pastor. That's yeah, yeah. Well, Nako, I think you hit that really well. I, I think the only things I'd, I'd add to that is just along the lines of what you said. I, I don't think that the, the challenge is really that much different for men in terms of the fact that we have to balance family. Um, but I think that um, because of some of the traditional roles that we all grew up with, we tend to, to uh, struggle with that more uh, because uh, there's just a, more of a sense that uh, we should be uh, focused there more. So um, there's the family demands uh, definitely uh, come into play and, and that's something that's, uh, that we have to be honest with. And it's, I think it first happens with children and then also with dealing with aging parents. You know, um, it's uh, it's an issue that um, definitely uh, I think female pastors uh, really have to uh, struggle with uh, finding the balancing act, and it, it's so important that we have uh, uh, good uh, support both from our uh, our spouses and and our church families and everyone else on that. So I, I'd add that. Um, I think the other thing that comes to mind is being a, a female pastor with an orthodox uh, Wesleyan theology, uh, a challenge that, you know, we often face, and I'm sure Stephanie, you and, and Naka will agree, is uh, some of the uh, challenges that come from some of our progressive friends saying, how can you as a female pastor embrace that theology uh, and that uh, has a, a, a stance on, on homosexuality that's different than theirs. How can you do that? And there's this, uh, you know, underlying assumption that, um, uh, that uh, the issues around uh, women in ministry uh, are no different than issues around homosexuality, or uh, they'll also bring in slavery with that. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I know all Orthodox Christians tend to get hit with those issues, but I think as, as women, we particularly get hit with it. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true, Beth. And, you know, I appreciate you all bringing up these ideas that, you know, the cultural norms that are sort of placed on us as women, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to work that in with then our call into ministry, but you're so right about, um, you know, about the progressive theology versus the more Wesleyan traditional theology kind of uh, being at odds with each other. And so to kind of piggyback on that, um, I'd love for you all to share with our listeners what some of the scriptural references are that are used to for the argument against women in ministry, but then also what are the scriptures that are used to bring a better understanding of the fact that women can, and in fact are called to ministry in the church, and, and then uh, just how you handle those conversations with people. So Beth, let's go with you first on that one. Sure. Well, I think the first thing is I, I don't get upset with people who criticize uh, because their beliefs on women um, typically are just what they know. And it's usually what they grew up with. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, and when people make comments or, or ask questions, even pointedly, um, I look at them as someone I can help grow and learn. And I think that's the most important thing. It's more about building relationships with them than teaching them right in the moment, you know, and, um, and, and just showing them my willingness to be their pastor. Um, and I, I don't have to prove to them, um, you know, or out evidence them why as a female, I can be a pastor. Um, I just, um, trust and, and I, and I thank God for the opportunity to engage with them, even, even when it can be a trying experience. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, so and uh, you know, yeah, I, I think of, um, there's one gentleman I'm thinking about right now who has, who um, over the previous years was very critical of um, having a female pastor and, and me being that pastor. But as we got to know one another, I, I, I heard him say one time, wow, that's a woman I can listen to preach. <laughs> and, and I had to laugh because it wasn't, you know, it's not quite where I want to get into, but it was progress. Right. <laughs> oh, so true. So true. What about you, Nako? Tell us a little bit about your understanding of those things. So, so against is typically like three passages from the New Testament of, uh, Second Timothy chapter two verses twelve through fifteen. I do not let women teach men or have authority over over them. Uh, let them listen quietly. And First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven verse three: The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And as well as chapter fourteen verses thirty four: Women should be silent during the church meetings. Um, and, and also people use what's not in the scripture, which is women are not included in 12 apostles, you know, first mm -hmm. Timothy chapter three, and it says an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. So, so, you know, a lot of people use this as, well, well women is not included in that. And four, um, I would start with the creation story that God uh, created both men and women to share the image of God. Um, we are called to be stewards or reign over the creation as co-workers, co I should say, partners. Um, you, you know, God called everything good when he made everything except for men alone. It's not good for mm -hmm. men to be alone. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> And, and God created woman to be a helper, which, you know, in the Old Testament, a lot of times God is referred as helper in, in, with the same Hebrew word. Right. So, so I think for us humans to reflect God's image and to do what God plans us to do, we need both men and women, especially, you know, because we're created to serve together. So it's, a, it's the same way in church as well, I believe. Yeah, you know, what, what I, I recognize that is that, although, yes, you're right, um, we, we have to uh, help folks recognize that the way we read scripture is that um, we read it both interpreting it in light of its immediate context, as well as within the context of scripture as a whole, right? So um, I believe that there are no passages of scripture that clearly prohibit women from holding positions of authority. 
and the, the passages that on the surface appear to do so, such as what Nako just mentioned, uh, are so often twisted by interpretations stemming from biased readings of the text. And um, in, in some cases, they're, they're faulty or, or biased translations even. And in others, there's uh, evidence of localized situations that required special treatment that wasn't intended for, for general application. I mean, what we know from uh, scripture is that um, God has progressively revealed his purpose um, to call and equip uh, and empower women for full opportunity of ministry in the church. I mean, Paul wrote uh, in Gal Galatians, there's neither, you know, Jew nor Greek, and he ends that with male nor female. And um, this is a, a general uh, principle of scripture. And uh, any scripture that at first, at first appears to contradict this uh, general statement has to be understood in light of the general principle of Galatians 3.28. You know, clearly the spiritual and heavenly identity proclaimed in that scripture um, has precedence over uh, any earthly uh, administrative identity. So uh, it, it's, it's just a just such an understanding of scripture that prompted our Wesleyan predecessors to, to re-examine the positions of, of many of their contemporaries. And um, um, so, uh, you know, it's, um, it's important that we um, keep, um, help people understand that there's this whole um, redemptive trajectory throughout uh, scripture uh, that that shows how uh, women have progressed uh, up from uh, where uh, uh, we uh, ended up with the fall. You know, as, as Nako pointed out, we started out, um, God created um, us in his image, right? Both male and female. And we were both given full authority over the earth. And um, this plan of equality was interrupted by the fall into human sin. But we can look through the Old Testament and the many um, uh, progress progressions that women made through it, including um, God using people like Miriam and as a, as a prophetess and Deborah and, uh, and Huldah and so forth. And then you look at the ministry of Jesus and, and uh, how he had a very positive openness to women as co-laborers. And, uh, and Jesus chose women to be the first to see him right after the resurrection. Uh, and then you look at Pentecost, both men and women were, uh, awaiting the fulfillment of Jesus's promises. And uh, it was a group of men and women together that were filled with the spirit. And so you just go on and on. And, and, and clearly you can see, I can go on and on. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, the, uh, the, you know, through the ministry of Paul and so forth, there's such a, a rich uh, story of the progress that, that women have made. And um, I, it, it's a shame when that gets missed. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll interject here, and I don't know, you can edit this in or out, but you know, we were talking before about some of the, the uh, um, arguments of how can you as a woman um, not then embrace uh, homosexuality as part of God's plan. You know, there's no similar trajectory for 
homosexual behavior in the Bible. It, it isn't the same. It isn't the same as, as female experience or what we even see with slavery and the progression of that. And I also want to mention, since you know, Beth mentioned we need to have close reading of the scripture. And I, I think we got to read in the light of what, what does ministry mean in the Bible? And in the Bible, ministry is a servanthood. You know, I think the church needs deeper understanding of what it means to be a minister, ministry, ordained minister, because leadership in church follows Jesus' example of servant leadership that requires self-sacrifice. You know, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, is what, that's what Jesus said. And it doesn't look like authoritative leadership, like when we think of in the world when you hear the word leadership. You know, Jesus has authority, of course, but he is a servant leader. So, yeah. so if, if, uh, if that's the case, what, what does it look like? What is the authority of servant leader? What is the authority of a shepherd? You know, if it's to feed and serve and provide, you know, it's caring, not so much forceful, coercive leadership. Uh, so so I, when we talk about ministry, women in ministry or male in ministry, you know, I'm going to start with ministry as servanthood. So, so when we do so, does being a female male really matter? You know, and the other thing is ordination is a set apart to, to be a servant of the church, servant leader of the church. And the church is affirming the calling to be a servant, to, to equip all the minister, ministers to build up the church. So, so being an ordained means you are set apart by the church, for the church. It, does it matter, you know, male or female? Um, and you're not going to be like a soul, like a boss. I'm the only boss. You know, you're accountable with each other and you are under authority of bishop of the church. So, and that authority is not inherent in us, us because of our gender, but it, the authority comes from God through the church. So I think that's something we, gotta, we need to think about when we talk about, you know, what it means to be an ordained minister or why, why can't, you know, what does it mean to be uh, female or male ministry in ministry? How do you think that the new denomination can best support women in ministry? That's one of the questions we get all the time, particularly from some of our critics who say, well, you know, the new denomination will reverse all of that and take us back to a place where, you know, women are second tier again. Clearly, that has not been the case. You are both incredible leaders in the WCA. Stephanie's a leader. Uh, we have incredible women leading this movement. So how can this traditional Methodist movement continue to support women in ministry and uphold that as we, as we move into the future? I'm going to start with uh, Nako first. Yeah, um, so, so I think it starts with a local church level. And I think one of the things that we define the ministry or minister is that everybody is a minister in local church. They're both men and women. So I think it's, it's empowering everyone, including female women in church, in a local church, serving and using God-given gifts. So, so, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, traditionally women are put into like teaching kids Sunday school or 
serving bereavement committee or you know hospitality or whatever but but instead of doing that through small group through accountability group i think we gotta discern uh gifts and calling of everybody and we gotta really i think we will em emphasize that and to build up his body to take it seriously and secondly among those lay people if there are people who feel they are called to be an ordained minister we encourage both men and women to pursue and discern that and we we set up the uh ordination system of both included in uh, as well as deployment system to open to that diversity and of, of um, opportunity to to discern and discover the calling and gifts of individual including of course women as well beth how about you yeah i i, I agree and and i think uh, the first thing that it has to be acknowledged is uh, what you were going toward, Bob, um, you look at who the Wesleyan Covenant Association leadership is. Uh, right now, our uh, global council, a third of us are women, and there is a stated uh, uh, objective that we'd like to see that as a, a higher a higher number with the, the right folks that, that God has called to it. And so I'll put in a plug here. We've got uh, the nomination process open right now for uh, those who uh, may uh, you may see as potential leaders for the uh, WCA. Uh, there's a nomination process for the Global Council. Uh, Carolyn Moore is the vice president of the WCA. Uh, I'm a president of uh, the Greater New Jersey chapter. I have women on my team. NACO serves on the leadership team in Florida. Uh, we have other female leaders like Stephanie throughout the, the uh, uh, organization. So, uh, you know, I think that it's important to see that we have from the beginning seen that as an important part of what we want to be. We, we favor the possibility and of uh, women in all positions of ministry because it represents the glorious fulfillment of the gospel, right? And, um, you know, John Wesley uh, was uh, the, the first to authorize women to preach with Sarah Crosby, remember that? Mm -hmm. And um, we favor the, the possibility of women in all positions of ministry because God's called women to it. We have clear callings. And, um, and has done that in the past, and we see continuing to do that in the future. Uh, some of the work that we are, are doing on the Global Council now as we are putting together this uh, uh, book of, uh, of doctrines and discipline is we have identified a, a commission on discipleship and just ministry. And we've put just ministry in with discipleship because we see it as an important part of uh, making sure that we are developing an organization uh, that is uh, not uh, discriminating, uh, that it is uh, affirming of all calls and uh, uh, and. Uh, gifts and graces uh, into the denomination that, that we're building. Um, you know, I'd add, Nako mentioned the deployment process and, uh, you know, Bob, you and I, I worked on that. Um, I worked on that with you, uh, especially back with the Next Steps Working Group. And uh, those who've taken a look through the, 
the draft uh, book of doctrine and discipline will see uh, a, a very uh, interesting uh, forward-thinking way of, of doing deployment with the, the intent of making sure that we aren't discriminating, that we are getting giving females and minorities uh, uh, an even playing field for uh, various uh, ministry positions, uh, including, of course, local pastor. And uh, that's uh, through the uh, Harry Hosier rule. So um, we continue uh, to uh, look forward for ways to ensure that we are forward thinking because we acknowledge and, and encourage the, the gifts of women. I think that's so helpful for us to hear. You both have just been just bright lights in this ministry and with the WCA, and we're so grateful for that. So as we bring our time together to a close, you know, I truly believe both men and women bring so many gifts to ministry. And even though we all face challenges, men and women alike, there are so many blessings that come from being in the ministry. So would you just share briefly each of you um, with our listeners that just a joy that you have experienced in ministry? Beth, will you share first? Yeah, I mean, definitely the joys outweigh the challenges of anything that we're talking about today. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And, mm -hmm. and, and I have to say that the biggest joy is just following the spirit into the uh, the risks in, involved in uh, pursuing the gifts that God gives you. And, um, you know, it's when you're out there on a limb and just having to rely on your faith, that's, and, and just hoping and seeing it all work out in God's way. Um, those are the real blessings. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I'll just say one last thing, you know, I, my gifting tends to be uh, uh, on the apostolic and prophetic realms. Mm -hmm. Uh, more than necessarily some of the more what people would think of as traditional realms of like uh, uh, shepherding and so forth. Um, so my opportunities uh, to, to utilize those, especially um, uh, as a pastor has just, it's, it's a great blessing. Mm -hmm. So good. What about you, Nako? Yeah, um, kind of a similar way, but I, I love to hear people's testimony. I feel like, you know, being a pastor, I feel like I'm in the front row seat uh, mm -hmm. to just really see how God's working in pe people's lives. You know, people, mm -hmm. some, I heard recently one woman whose life's been changed over year or last year or two because, you know, there's unforgiveness issues, but now she's able to forgive and she's free, you know, finding the deeper love that God has for people and uh, that discovery deepening relationship with God and I get to see that in the front seat is a very rewarding and I find joy in that. We are so grateful for having both of you join us. We thank you Beth and Nako for your witness, your powerful preaching, your leadership, and all that you have done for your churches and for the Wesleyan Covenant Association. So thank you for joining us. Stephanie, why don't you take us home? Sure, I'd love to. Well, friends, we're so glad that you've joined us for today. And there's lots of different ways that you can be communicating with us, that you can be checking us out. You will see those different ways, our email contact and, and ways that you can be with us on Twitter and other things in the notes below. So I hope you'll check that out. 
And also, friends, we just want to encourage you during this time. We appreciate your prayers for us, and we want you to know that we are also praying for you, and we're excited about how the Holy Spirit is moving in our midst, and we're excited that we all get to be a part of that together. So we'll see you next time on Holy Conversations.